Yeah, thanks for being here, guys. Does this sound okay? Too loud? Good to go? All right, well, today we're going we're gonna to conclude our four-part series, but uh, just one announcement before we get started. Next, next Sunday, uh, we want to take some time to do a couple things. First, we want to provide a few concluding thoughts to this series so we're going to take a little bit of time to do that. We'll have some time for you to ask us questions as well. Uh, we'd love to serve you in that way. So if you have any questions along the lines of reading the Bible um, for yourself personally or for us, we would love to be here to answer any questions we can. Also provide you some concluding thoughts on this material we've been teaching through. We want to give you some motivation and some tools for pursuing God through your Bible reading. So... Uh, that's what some of our concluding thoughts will be. And also, we want to have some time for you to contribute to this series. And the way we want you to do that, we'd love to have you share just how God has met you, uh, how he's equipped you, how he's helped you in this series. I don't think there's a person in here that could say, hey, I didn't learn anything in this four-part series. I didn't, I didn't walk away without the Lord helping me read my Bible better, more effectively. And I think he has. And so we'd love to hear from you. All, all you got to do is really just take your word processor or a pen and piece of paper, uh, write down one sentence or one paragraph, whatever you would like to share. Make sure it's brief, two to three minutes. And guys, we'd love to hear from you. Um, and I think it would serve all of us and benefit all of us as well. See how the Lord is at work in your life and, and through this series. Um, guys, this morning we're, we're, we're doing... Uh, Reading with a Heart for God, that's the title. And God has graciously preserved for us uh, in this canon of Scripture an invaluable resource. And uh, these, are, these are God's very words, as you know. They've been written over many centuries by many men, but inspired by one divine mind. These are His words to us. This is a gift to us, and it's given to us in our own language. Nothing's more profitable for us in our guidance in life. Nothing's more helpful for us in our growth and godliness. And to have it in our own language and be able to read it and study it and have a class like this, uh, surely like Luke 1248 applies to us, right? Uh, to whom much is given, much will be required. And so we are blessed. Um, and this morning, as we, as we read about how to read with the heart for God, may, us, may we lean in and may we do so eagerly and, and willingly to learn more. All right, so let's pray and, and get going. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to come together as your children and, and learn about how to read with a heart for you, Lord. We want to encounter you in your word, Lord. We want to know more about you. Lord, we want to be able to grasp your word more effectively. So you would, would you help us, Lord. I pray that uh, you would fill me with your spirit as I teach, Lord. I pray that you would build up your church, Lord, that you would edify your people, that we would walk away affected by your spirit, affected by your word, or encouraged and equipped to live a life that loves you and that loves one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. When your notes, I uh, just have a little opening illustration in his book, uh, Applying the Bible, Jack Kutchek tells an amazing story about a man who really knew his Bible well, and this, this illustration really underscores what we're going to be talking about this morning and the importance of it, but look there at the, the story here in your notes. It says, while studying in the Holy Lands, a seminary professor of mine met a man who claimed to have memorized the entire Old Testament in Hebrew. Needless to say, the astonished professor asked for a demonstration. A few days later, they sat together in the man's home. Where shall we begin? asked the man. Psalm 1, replied my professor, who's an avid student of the Psalms. Beginning with Psalm 1, the man began to recite from memory, while my professor followed along in his Hebrew Bible. For two hours, the man continued, word for word, without a mistake, as the professor sat in stunned silence. When the demonstration was over, my professor discovered something even more astonishing about the man. He was an atheist. 
Here was someone who knew the scriptures better than most Christians ever will. And yet he didn't even believe in God. This man obviously knew his Bible. He could probably tell you the clear surface level meaning of what he was reading. He could probably tell you the details of what he was reading, the context of the scripture. He could, he could think about these things and tell you these things, but he didn't have a heart for God. And I think we can probably find ourselves in similar situations, even as Christians. Just, we just open the Bible, we start reading it, we can tell you what, it's, what it means and some details and the context about it. Evan did a great job helping us understand the meaning last week and maybe even see the larger meta-narrative, the bigger story, right, that we've learned about. But we can walk away having read and our hearts not even be affected. We can read without a, a heart for God. And I think... When we read with a heart for God, we not only understand the meaning of what we are reading, but we take the final step and apply what we are reading. We walk it out. We obey. That's what it means to read with a heart for God. We're, we're wanting to obey. Jesus said plainly in John 14, 21a, Whoever has my commands and obeys me, he is the one who loves me. That's what it means to read with a heart for God. Whoever has my commands and obeys me, he's the one who loves me. He's just making the clear statement that no obedience, uh, no heart for God, no love for God. So the, the big idea this morning in your notes is, is that reading with a heart for God manifests itself in willing obedience to God's word. You want to read with a heart for God? Reading with a heart for God manifests itself in willing obedience to God's word. A heart for God, in other words, obeys God's word. So when you, you come to God's word, you want to read with the heart for him. You want to read with application in mind. Application of God's word is the best evidence for and the best method of cultivating a heart for God. You see a man, you see a woman applying God's word, that's a man and woman who has a heart for God, who reads with a heart for God. So this morning we're going to talk about how do, we, how do we apply this Bible? As we read it, how do we, how do we take it into our lives and, and put it into practice? We'll talk about that. We also have to talk about something else very important when it comes to reading with a heart for God, and that is attitudes of our heart as we read. What is our attitude as we approach God's Word. I think if you want to read with the heart for God, you not only need to know how to apply the Bible, but you also need the right heart attitudes. The man who could recite the Old Testament, he not only didn't really apply what he was reading, but his, his attitudes, the way he thought about the Bible, were all wrong. His motives for, for memorizing the Old Testament in Hebrew were probably not the motives God gives us for why we should be studying and reading and applying his word. So these attitudes are really a prelude to application, and we'll talk about them this morning. Um, I think Scripture gives us three clear attitudes that we should have in our hearts towards his word as we approach it. So they each start with D. So 3D attitudes, uh, the risk of sounding cheesy. Um, you know, like you go to a 3D movie, right? Uh, for you to watch a 3D movie, you need what? 3D glasses, right, to wear them. I think for us to read with a heart for God, you need these 3D attitudes. What happens if you don't wear those glasses in a 3D movie? Fuzzy, blurry. I think there's a similar effect on our hearts if we don't have these attitudes as we engage God's Word. It's just we don't really get the full effect that we should be getting into our hearts and lives. And so we're going to talk about those this morning. You some of you might already be trying to fill in the blanks. If you're those kind of people, here we go. Get ready, fill in the blank. Uh, number one is, is desperate for the Bible. Are you desperate? You wake up, is your heart desperate for Scripture? Do you, do you really recognize your need for the Bible this morning? Do you really recognize how much you need it in your life? An attitude of desperation says this, more than anything else, I need the Bible in order to live the Christian life. I need God's Word. There's, there's simply no healthy Christian life 
apart from a regular diet of God's Word. It just does not exist. If there's no regular diet in your life of Scripture, there's no healthy Christian life. And the reasons for this are obvious. I think we could spend the entire rest of the morning talking about the reasons that we need the Bible. I want to highlight one Scripture, though, Romans 15.4. I think there are four clear, compelling reasons from this Scripture. Romans 15.4 says this, For whatever was written in former days, referring to Scripture, was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Four reasons for our need for the Bible. Number one, instruction. Guys, we all desperately need instruction, don't we? None of us have arrived. None of us are, are full of wisdom and, and know exactly how to live the Christian life and how to obey God every single day. No, we need instruction. We need to be uh, taught from God how to live the life he calls us to live. We need instruction from God to us through the scriptures. Endurance. We all desperately need endurance. To live the Christian life, we need to endure. Christian life is one of endurance and perseverance. It's a race marked out for us. And it's a fallen world, by the way, that we're running this race in. And scripture helps us to endure in this race. Encouragement. None of y'all need encouragement, do you? We all need, we desperately need encouragement. We desperately need encouragement. We get that from God's word. Encouragement fills us with the courage and boldness to live a faithful life. Without encouragement, we become fearful, discouraged, hard-hearted, making it next to impossible to even live with assurance. And lastly, hope. We need scripture because it gives us hope. In it, we find the only hope that we will ever really have. We all desperately need it. I think we, we can set our hope in a lot of things, both good and bad. But biblical hope is expecting that God is good on his word and will deliver what he promises. Scripture tells us that Jesus alone is the author and reason for our hope and that we must continually set our hope in him. Obviously, the world has changed since the Bible was written, but our ongoing need for it to speak into our lives has not changed. We all need it to speak into our lives. We desperately need it. We must be like Jeremiah, who, you know, when he found God's words, what did he do? He ate them. He ate them. He was desperate for the Bible. Jesus tells us himself, citing Deuteronomy 8 and Matthew 4, 4, he says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Real life derives directly from God's word. Apart from God's word, we cannot live the Christian life. Therefore, to, to read with a heart for God, we need an attitude of desperation for Scripture. So David, a, a man said to be after God's own heart, prays like this in Psalm 119, Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Oh, Lord, may my ways be steadfast. I'm desperate for that. With my whole heart, I seek you in verse 10. Let me not wander from your commandments. I need them. Verse 12, blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me. Teach me your statutes. I need instruction. I need encouragement. I need hope. Verses 17 through 20, deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. An attitude of desperation is much needed if we're to read with a heart for God. And we would do well to turn these words into our own prayers to God as we engage his word. Okay, attitude number two is devoted to the Bible. Devoted to the Bible. Are you, are you devoted? Are you prioritizing Bible reading? Are you prioritizing Bible intake? Is it getting into your life because you're making it you're making it a priority. An attitude of devotion says, more than anything else, I prioritize Bible reading in order to live the Christian life. I think God's goal for every single one of us is to make us more like Jesus Christ. He's conforming us into his image. Paul 
Paul says in Romans 8, we've been predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So God's word is the primary means, guys, for that maturation process. That is the go- that's what he uses to grow us and train us in godliness is his word. Therefore, it, it has to be a priority. We have to be devoted to it. We have to realize as we come to it that I not only need this, but I need to devote my life to this. Look at 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17. I think I highlighted that in, in your notes. But here, here we see that because these are very, these are, are God's very words, the Bible, it has the power to convert us, verse 15 tells us. It also has the power to, to train us in righteous living, train us in godly living. It's given to us for reproof, for correction, encouragement. It adjusts us. So we need that to make us more like Jesus, it's necessary for our growth and godliness. Uh, so I think that's why God tells Joshua in one eight, Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Joshua, be so devoted to it that it, it doesn't depart from your mouth. Be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. A heart devoted to God's word. Also, it gives evidence, guys. It not only matures you in godliness, it gives evidence that you're really a true follower of Jesus Christ. In John 8, 31, Jesus says, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You're truly a man or woman who belongs to God. And when, when I think of a man like this, the Old Testament figure Ezra comes to mind. I love Ezra 7.10. We read, we read there, it says, For Ezra devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. We could, we could look at the Bereans in Acts 17.11 who they received the message with much eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. One of my favorite pictures of a heart of devoted to God's word is found in 2 Timothy 4.13. The apostle Paul is in prison. He knows his time on earth is drawing to a close, anticipating a visit from his friend, gospel partner Timothy. He writes this, Timothy, when you come, bring my cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially my parchments. This almost certainly includes the scriptures. Paul, Paul is in prison. Uh, he's in miserable confinement and he wants two things. He's cold. Hey, Timothy, please bring my jacket. Uh, and by the way, can you bring the scriptures? I want to read them. I'm devoted to them. I need them in my life. Paul, uh, the one who had seen heaven and the resurrected Christ and experienced the miraculous powers of the Holy Spirit, was devoted. He's devoted to Bible reading. That's, the, that's the, one of the two things he wants while he's in prison. Uh, surely we, we must be as well, men and women who have an attitude of devotion. E- evangelist Robert L. Sumner in his book, The Wonder and the Word of God, tells of a man in Kansas City who was severely injured in an explosion. His face was badly disfigured, and he lost his eyesight as well as both hands. He had just become a Christian when the accident happened, and one of his greatest disappointments was that he could no longer read the Bible. He heard about a lady in England who read Braille with her lips. Hoping to do the same, he sent for some books of the Bible in Braille, but he discovered that the nerve endings in his lips had been too badly damaged to distinguish the characters in the Braille One day, though, as he brought one of the Braille pages to his lips, his tongue happened to touch a few of the raised characters, and he could feel them on his tongue. Like a flash, he thought, I can read the Bible with my tongue. At the time that Sumner wrote this book, the man had read through the Bible uh, four times with his tongues, devoted to it. He wants it. Uh, An attitude, it says this, uh, more than anything else, I prioritize Bible reading. And and ours must be the same if we're to read with a heart for God. God's pleased when we come to his word with an attitude of devotion. 
I'm not saying this means we, we have to do this all day, every day, but in your heart, like, do you want to? Are you devoted to it? Do you recognize your need for it? And lastly, number three is an attitude of delight. Delight in God's word. Do you delight in God's word? Does it thrill your soul? An attitude of delight says, you know, more than anything else, I take great pleasure in God's word in order to live the Christian life. What happens to your heart when you read verses like Psalm 119, 12 through 16? Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and, and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I, I will not forget your word. When you read Romans 7.22 where Paul says, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Can you say, can you say this is happening or it's, it, that's happened to you? Do you resonate with this? Do you delight in the imperatives, right? The commands and the, the indicatives of the narratives, like in the poetry and the prophecy and what God has done, what he promises to do. Do you love all of God's word? With this just a burning zeal. Or do you just like certain parts of it? Do you taste and enjoy what the psalmist does in Psalm 119, 103? How, how sweet are your words to my taste? Sweeter than honey to my mouth. Can you identify with the man in Psalm 1? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on this law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and in all he does, he prospers. This is an attitude of delight. And these holy words, and John Piper writes of this psalm, uh, the point of this psalm is to say that when you experience the word of God like that, as so delightful and so satisfying that it captures your mind and heart day and night and weans you away from the counsel and path and seat of the world, when you experience the word like that, friend, you are blessed. You are happy. And God wants that for us. That's why he gave us his word. We would delight in it. We would meditate on his law day and night. We would be blessed and happy in his word. You'd be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. So Bible reading is not a drudgery to the person who delights in the word. Uh, now the psalmist, I think, is human as well. And uh, of course, I'm sure he struggled with delighting from time to time in God's word and I believe we we do as well however uh, should should this not be the attitude we're aiming for Lord give me a heart of delight in your word give me an attitude that delights in, in what you've written I do believe without this guys um, we're not going to approach scripture with a heart for God so if we can't find delight in his words then how can we find delight in him all right, guys, so those are, the, those are the 3D attitudes, I think, that Scripture holds out for us. As we, as we encounter God's Word, we should, we should be encountering it and engaging it with these attitudes in our heart. Desperation, devotion, and delight. Let's, let's talk a little bit about application now. Apologize for all the sniffles. Um, had a little sickness this week, and uh, if there are typos, if some of this doesn't make sense, I wrote some of this while I was on medication, so. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I trust God is sovereign, and he worked through that. Um, 
Application, guys. Remember the main point of this morning's teaching. The big idea of this morning's teaching is reading with a heart for God manifests itself in willing obedience to God. So reading with a heart for God manifests itself in willing obedience to God's word. The, the outcome of all Bible reading should be application. Every passage of Scripture is intended to have a, an, a redemptive effect on our lives. It's intended to get some work done in our hearts. And, and for us to get the full effect, guys, we must obey what we read. Until we practice the truth, we will not truly grasp the truth. You're not going to really grasp what you're reading until you put it into practice. In other words, it's, it's not going to have its full effect on our lives. It's, it's like chewing food without swallowing, right? Um, got a little two-year-old. She, she does that. She'll just chew her food. It just doesn't swallow. It's like you're not having the full effect. It's not really, it's not really nourishing you, right? You're not really growing. You might think you are because all the, all, the, all the carrots are off your plate, so hey. You ate them all. No, you gotta, you got to swallow it. And the same is true as we read the Bible. We, we have to put it into practice or it won't have its full effect. We won't truly grow. We won't truly be nourished. Uh, Scott Duvall and, and Daniel Hayes say in their book, Grasping God's Word, we cannot apply the Bible without knowing what, I'm sorry, we can't, yes, we cannot apply the Bible without knowing what it means but we can know the Bible without applying it. We can investigate context, analyze words, and even memorize chapters. But unless we act on what we know, we do not truly grasp that word. Knowledge by itself is not enough. It should lead to action. The classic passage of Scripture on the value of application, I think, is found in James 1, 22 through 25. James writes, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and, and goes away at once, forgets what he's like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Being doers of the word and not hearers only is the only proper response to the word of God. And to fail to do the word is to demonstrate James is laying out utter folly. I mean, none of us in this room this morning just rolled out of bed, looked in the mirror, and then walked out the door in our pajamas and came to church without getting ready to come, right? It's just common sense says don't do that. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. Um, no, we looked in the mirror and said, yeah, I've got to do something about this. <laughs> I can't, can't get out the door like this. I'm not going to forget what I saw right there. I need to go get in the shower. Good grief. Um, it's just, it just doesn't make sense. And, and the same thing applies to when we, when we read God's word. It's, it's like a mirror. It reveals to us. Ah, it reveals to me when I read scriptures about men who delight in God's word, when my heart's not delighting, my heart's not devoted, when, when I just I don't want to put forward the effort, put forth the effort to apply. It's like a mirror. It's saying, Jason, you need to. How you need to. Look, what, look how God has given himself wholly to you through his son. He wants you to give yourself entirely to him. Here's how you need to do that. I don't need to just close this and walk away and just eh, keep living life like every, every other day. I need to adjust and change. I need to, I need to not walk away and forget what I just read. And, and the only way to do that is to, is to apply what I just read. All right, so... We need to make application that the, the Puritan minister Thomas Watson encouraged application when he said this, take, take every word as spoke to yourselves. When the word thunders against sin, think thus, God means my sin. When it 
oppresseth any duty? God intends me in this. He's talking to me. I think a lot of times we can read God's word and think of other people. No, don't do that. God intends you. He intends you. Many put off scriptures from themselves as if it only concerned those who lived in the time when it was written. But if you intend to profit by the word, bring it home to yourselves. A medicine will do no good unless it be applied. Right, Simon? Medicine will do no good unless it be applied. We must perceive the application of a passage of Scripture to our present personal situation. And not only that, we must bring it home. Okay, we must apply it. So how do we do that? How do we apply? That's what we're going to talk about. Now, I think Pastor Evan did an excellent job in helping us last week understand how do you determine the meaning of a text. It says that when we have correctly interpreted the passage and we've understood what God, through the human author, intended to communicate in the text. And so we use the term application to refer to the response of that meaning. So once you get the meaning, application is the response to that meaning. We, we do this because a misunderstanding about the meaning of a verse leads to misguidance in how we apply it. Okay, you misunderstand the meaning, uh, you're going to be misguided in your obedience. So when Jesus says uh, to the thief on the cross, today you're going to be with me in paradise, uh, that does not mean that Christians will die today and be with Jesus in paradise. We, we don't apply it that way, do we? Of course we don't. It was intended for the thief. One way we can apply it, however, would be to prepare for that day that we're going to be with him. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be, I'm like the thief. I'm going to be with Jesus one day. I'm going to prepare now for that day. I'm going to examine myself about my readiness. So... Understanding uh, is necessary for application. I think much of Scripture is plain and straightforward in its meaning to us. I think we can read this and, and we get a clear, concise, straightforward meaning from it. So I, I think while our problem at times can be a lack of comprehension, uh, I think the bigger problem is really a lack of application. So I've got in your uh, notes, you're probably looking at it, uh, a picture. <laughs> I took that with my phone. Sorry for the quality of that. But let's talk about the interpretive journey. Um, I'm going to explain this a little bit for us, what this picture means. Uh, but this picture kind of gives us an idea of, of when we read the Bible, how do we begin to apply it? What are some categories we need to have? What are some contours of thinking that we need to know in order to truly apply Scripture and effectively apply Scripture and rightly apply Scripture. So <clears throat> take that picture, and then I've got some steps below that kind of walk us through this picture. So step one. Step one is grasp the text in the biblical town. And what did this passage of Scripture mean to the original audience? Uh, God has an argument he's making in every passage, and he's saying something very specific to that audience. What's he saying? What did this mean to them? And Evan helped us do that last week. So you got the little biblical town with the little palm trees. You see that over there on the left? So imagine yourself, you're in this town. Like, what's this mean to these people? What was God saying to them? We want to grasp that original meaning. Before we take that meaning and begin to apply it to our lives, we need to know what it is so know what it is and, and we'll we'll do an example of this together so um, step two measure the width of the river to cross uh, in other words what are the differences between the biblical audience and us what are the differences between the biblical audience and us because if you until you determine what those differences are, you can't really take that passage into your own life. Right? If, it's, if it's referring to something uh, that doesn't really exist as part of our culture, but it exists as part of that culture, then how are you going to apply it without really understanding that there are cultural differences? We need to, to know these things in the different situations as well. So you got their little river there um, identifying some differences. Step three, once you've done that, 
when you cross this bridge. It's a principalizing bridge. In other words, you are able to take a principle that's timeless and true for those people. Just how God's Word does this. It gives us principles from Scripture. And you're able to take that and then cross the bridge over into our lives as well. So you have a principalizing bridge. Uh, what's the theological principle in this text? What's the timeless truth from this passage that applies to all people, all time, everywhere, in every situation? They're there. The timeless truth is always there. Step four, grasp the text in our own town. Okay, so you begin to be thinking about situations in your own town. How should individual Christians today apply this principle to our lives? Our culture is different. Our language is different. Uh, depending on where you are, you're, you're in a different covenant. It's New Testament, co- New Testament covenants. Uh, we're, 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 we're on the other side of the cross. And how does that affect our lives differently now than folks who didn't know that at that time, the, the Old Testament uh, believers? So there are differences. Uh, since application will vary from reader to reader, we need a reliable method of making sure applications are within the boundaries established by the author's intended meaning. So I want to expand on step four. Uh, this is going to kind of detail the application process into several sub-steps you got there. You guys sticking with me? This is, this is, if you're hearing this for the first time, understand it can be a lot. But this is going to be very helpful, I think. And it, it just, it's practice over time. Um, I'm not saying you have, to, you have to fit all your application into this and get it right every single time. But I think it will help you uh, apply appropriately. So number one, just observe how the principles in the text address the original situation. We're going to do an example of this. Uh, Number two, discover a parallel situation in the contemporary context. In other words, uh, what's going on in my life right now? How does this fit? Does it even fit? Am I even experiencing a situation like this? Number three, uh, make your application specific. All right, so so let's use Philippians 4.13, right? Philippians 4.13, what does that say? Good, yes, it's, it's a text we're all familiar with. I think it's a text that's often misapplied as well. It's often misinterpreted, and it's often misapplied. Um, that, that used to be a banner text over my soccer game on Saturday as a kid growing up. Like, is that, is that, is that appropriate? Is that the real application of this text? Or can I really get out and score all goals because Christ strengthens me? Um, I think that's a good desire, but I want to make sure that we're applying these things appropriately and rightly. All right, so uh, let's, let's do step one with this text. Grasp it in the biblical town. What did it mean to the original audience? Well, regarding Philippians 4.13, um, if you read the book of Philippians, you'll know Paul's in prison. He's in prison while he's writing this. Why is he in prison? Because it's... Because of his faithful uh, gospel ministry. That's what got him in prison. So Paul's facing difficult circumstances. Uh, he wanted to encourage the church, if you read the book, by telling them, you know, I, I've learned to be content, guys. In a variety of difficult circumstances in my life, I've learned to be content through Christ, who gives me strength to do that. So that's what the text meant to the original audience. Uh, There are very difficult circumstances in Paul's life, and he's saying, hey, in the midst of all this, I've learned to be content. All right, step two, let's measure the width of the river to cross you. What are the differences between the biblical audience and us? Uh, There's a river separating our world from the biblical world. Language differences, cultural differences, various different circumstances, and we need to know just how wide it is before we cross it with the principalizing bridge. Uh, New Testament epistles are not very wide rivers. Um, if you're reading in the New Testament, they're not very deep rivers to cross. Regarding Philippians, there are a few differences. Paul, Paul is an apostle. Uh, we're not apostles in here. We're not writers of the New Testament. We haven't seen the Lord Jesus face to face. So Paul is an apostle. That's a difference. Uh, Paul is in prison for his faith, right? Um, that's not true of us yet. It might be one day, but Paul is in prison for his faith. That's a cultural difference. We're not experiencing that in our world right now. 
I'm sorry, in our country right now. Uh, neither are we members of the Philippian church that supported Paul's ministry financially. However, there are some similarities. We are New Testament Christians under the same covenant. We are members of Christ's body together, the church. We're members just like Paul's a member. Many of us experience difficult situations, don't we, in which we seek to live out our faith. Um, youth, living out your faith as a youth is, is difficult, can be trying. Maybe at work as well, some of you. Being a Christian, living out your faith, working with integrity, honoring Jesus can be difficult to do. Trying circumstances. So there's some similarities and some differences. Uh, for the most part, the river's not too wide. So step three, let's cross the bridge. You know, what, what's the theological principle in this text? What's the, the timeless principle? I think Philippians 4.13, we could say, the principle is believers can learn to be content in a variety of circumstances through Christ who gives them strength. We can all learn to be content. Or you could say it like this, Christ will give believers strength to be content in a variety of trying circumstances that come as a result of following him faithfully. Does that make sense? That's a timeless principle. Applies to all Christians through all time. Step four, let's grasp it in our own town. How should individual Christians today apply theological principles in their lives? Let's look at the sub-steps. First, we want to observe how the principle in the text addresses the original situation. How do the principles intersect with the historical cultural situation? When we do this, you've got several elements that emerge. First, you see Paul... Paul's a Christian, right? He's experiencing a variety of trying circumstances as a result of following Christ faithfully. He's in prison for doing so. And we see that Christ will give the Christian strength to endure whatever the circumstances. And when you get these key elements, you can begin to discover a parallel situation to your life. You search for situations in your life that contain the key elements that you identify. I think we misapply the Bible when we grab a situation that's not truly a parallel. So look for a parallel situation. We, we, we will misapply it if we don't. So here, here's an example, okay? Uh, you're a single mom whose non-Christian husband recently deserted you because of your commitment to Christ. Your two small children suddenly find themselves without a father. The sense of perusal failure weighs heavy. The social pressure of what people will say lingers. You face overwhelming financial burdens. And you worry how you're going to survive on your part-time job. As life seems to crumble around you, God has given you an unshakable peace. That Jesus Christ is with you. He understands and he will see you through all the way to the end. He will bring you through. He's not left you. Paul knows Christ hasn't left me. He will see me through. He will see you through. Whatever your circumstance. As, as you identify this parallel situation... I think you can have confidence that you're really applying Scripture to your life. And at point C, you can make your application very specific. In other words, what should the single mother do as she turns to Christ for strength? Okay, Jesus Christ strengthens me. I want to turn to him for strength. How do, I, how do I begin to do that? How do I begin to turn to Christ for strength? Yeah, I think as best as possible, try to create real-world scenarios, right? I mean, who are the people in your lives? What, what, where are you at church? Um, how can you begin to uh, turn to Christ for strength through means that God has put into your, your life? Think of real-world circumstances. Each of your applications will be different from another's. And, and by the way, uh, your applications are not laws. They're not principles. So make sure not to mistake them or, or mix them up as, oh, okay, well, well, you know, Perry, he's doing this. And then, you know, Bertus, he's doing this. And so I, I should do that too. No. 
No, you should apply that principle you just heard. Don't walk away without doing that. But it's going to look different for each one of us how we apply. I think uh, the real world scenario for the single mother who wants to turn to Christ for strength would look like seeking encouragement through a conversation uh, with a pastor or with a, a trusted friend, a mature believer in Christ. Just going to them saying, here's how I'm doing. I'm looking to Christ for strength. Can you encourage me? I think it's turning to the word, seeking encouragement there. Uh, maybe study some biblical passages that relate to divorce, remarriage, and so on. Maybe there are, are business people in the church who can help you get a, like a financial plan together to provide for your family. And, and you think through some of that stuff together with other people. It's, it's real world application. Uh, as you're turning to Christ for strength, he's given you strength in his people, uh, in his word. He's not left you. He will, he will not abandon you. He will always keep his promises. You truly can do all things through Christ. You truly can walk through a difficult situation through Christ who strengthens you. All right, thanks for sticking with me through that. It's, it's helpful. I know it can feel academic, but it's very helpful, and it's very good for us to, to think rightly about application and not just say, oh, I'll apply it however I want to. Uh, no, I, think, I don't think that honors the Lord. I don't think that is really reading His Word with a heart for God. And I've also given you uh, some some application-oriented questions you can ask as you read the Bible. And these are helpful because application has a lot of different uh, aspects to it. So you can see I've provided them for you there. Uh, questions like, you know, does this text reveal something I should believe about God? A lot of the Bible reveals things you should believe about God. Uh, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one shall come to the Father but by me. Believe that. That's applying that. I'm going to believe that. Jesus really is who he says he is, and I'm going to live like that. And that means that my friends who don't know the Lord need to know the Lord because there's no way to God but by through him. And so believing that is very important. Does this text reveal something I should praise or thank or trust God for? That's certainly application. Orienting our praise around the God who made us uh, is, is application of text. Does this, God, does this text reveal something I should pray about for myself or others? Does this text reveal something I should have a new attitude about? Does this text reveal something I should make a decision about? Does this text reveal something I should do for the sake of Christ, others, or myself? So a lot of these resources are, are pulled from uh, some books I've referenced here, and I would encourage you to even read those. Grasping God's Word is one of them. I think Pastor Evans referenced it as well. It's very helpful. Uh, Don Whitney's Spiritual Disciplines in the Christian Life is a helpful book in terms of this. Um, just to better help you apply it. And again, next week we're going to provide some concluding thoughts on how to help you pursue God in your Bible reading as well. Uh, in closing, I've got two quotes I want to share with us. Uh, I just think it'd be wise for us to make sure that every time you read God's Word, you seek to apply it. And here's good counsel from Don Whitney. In seeking to apply it, it can become overwhelming, I think, um, but I hope this helps. An encounter with God through his word should result in at least one specific response. In other words, after you have concluded your time of reading scripture, you should be able to name at least one definite response you've made or will make to what you've encountered. One definite response. Uh, that response, not tap. That response, as the medicine, uh, may be an explicit act of faith, worship, praise, thanksgiving, or prayer. It may take the form of asking someone's forgiveness or speaking a word of encouragement. The response may involve the forsaking of a sin or showing an act of love. Regardless of the nature of that response, guys, consciously commit yourself to at least one action to take the following <laughs> to take following the reading of God's word. Consciously commit yourself to one action. You, know, you got a pen and a journal. What's one, what's one thing God wants me to do here after I read this? We're not going to really read with the heart for God unless we're applying it. We're not going to truly grasp God's word. We're not going to grow and be nourished unless we put it into practice. So let's, uh, let's be eager to do this. Without that, uh, we, we won't be doers of the word, and, and therefore we'll just be deceiving ourselves. And uh, lastly, just one word of caution. Um, 
as you, as you commit to applying God's word that just makes the target on your back bigger, uh-oh, here's a doer. This isn't a reader we got here. This is an actual doer. Uh-oh, that's going to change things. And yes, it will. It will change things. Uh, the, the application of God's word to your life will be met with opposition. This will not come easy. Don't, don't be surprised by that. We have passions at war within us, right? Uh, we have the flesh. There's indwelling sin. It's present. It's active. It's, it's actively opposed to God's uh, word and the application of God's word in our lives. And so, like, you wake up, don't be surprised if you don't want to. Uh, that's, that's indwelling sin. Uh, just deny it and get in God's word. Open God's word. Apply it. Um, Galatians 5.17 says, The desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh. And they're opposed to each other. You're going to have two desires. And they're opposed to each other. Your sinful desires will oppose application to keep you from doing it. They don't want you to be a doer. They want you to be deceived. Another aspect of opposition is, is spiritual. J.I. Packer made the point this way. And this is the, this is the last quote there on your outline. It says, If I were the devil... If I were the devil, one of my first aims would be to stop folk from digging into the Bible. Knowing that it is the Word of God, teaching men to know and love and serve the God of the Word, I should do all I could to surround it with the spiritual equivalent of pits, thorn hedges, and man traps to frighten people off at all costs. I should want to keep them from using their minds in a disciplined way to get the measure of its message. There is real opposition, guys. And, uh, and the good news is that the Lord Jesus stands victorious over that opposition. He will give you grace to apply God's word. Uh, the Lord is, is, is kind to give us this, and he's, he's eager for us to dig into it. And that's our heart Guys, as a church, we just want to equip you to do that effectively. And I think for you to do that effectively, you not only need to understand it, you not only need to know the meta narrative, uh, but you need to be able to apply it to your life. All right. So that's it. I'll, uh, I'll pray for us and we'll close. Father, thank you for uh, your word. Lord, we're so grateful that we have it. We have it in our own language. We are, we're able to read it. Lord, I, I know that you will help us to understand it. Lord, we 